0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome once again to Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Olford, and we're here to talk about the story, the myth, the legend, and the conspiracy that started it all, at least from all of our present-day perspectives. And that is the 1947 crash of a UFO near Roswell, New Mexico. This particular incident seemed to let loose a whole barrage of inquiry and controversy involving the U.S. government, as well as a broad-based enthusiasm of UFOlogy among people everywhere. So hi there, Lori. You know, I think the uh, story of Roswell has affected everyone's life, whether or not they even know it, and whether or not they even believe in UFOs.
1: Yeah, hey, Joe. Uh, that's right. And uh, we want to let everyone know that this is just our analysis of the Roswell crash. Uh, this subject has been the center of many debates and many books and many documentaries uh, or documentaries, and, uh, and is very intriguing. So we decided to uh, review it and discuss it in hopes of helping you come to a decision about Roswell, especially if you're still on the fence about it.
0: Exactly. Uh, many people have different viewpoints about this topic, uh, just like they do with any other topic, and that's perfectly fine. We're not opposed to disagreement. As always, we encourage everyone to thoroughly research all of these subjects that we cover. And the Roswell crash is certainly one that has a lot of significance as well as mystery, right?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, this incident in our country's history, now over 74 years ago, has been one that jump started our technological capabilities in so many areas, such as with uh, spaceflight computerization, telecommunications, and medicine, just to name a few. And like you said, whether or not we believe in aliens and extraterrestrial spacecraft, we all have benefited from the advances in science and innovation that have taken place, almost at a breathtaking rate since uh, that time period uh, of the post-World War II years. Now, granted, there are other accounts of crash UFOs, but none of them have left their mark on our culture quite like that of uh, Roswell
0: yeah that seems to be pretty well substantiated Uh, there has been an exponential increase in our technological breakthrough since then I mean just about all of us have seen a tremendous change in our computers and telephones in just the last 15 years that really no one would have ever imagined at the time when you and I were kids Laurie and when you look at the progress that has been made throughout most of human history it goes pretty much at a snail's pace you know um, the improvements to cars and airplanes and radios and, and household appliances from, say, uh, 1900 to 1950. Yeah, um, definitely some ingenuity at work, no doubt. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. Things like you know television and computers did come about in the 1940s, but they were virtually impractical for use until the 1950s. And really, it wasn't until the 1960s that there was any widespread application of them. I know hearing from my parents who grew up in the 50s that television was, especially by today's standard, pretty sketchy. Uh, Now, jump forward 20 to 30 years, and television is a whole uh, world of difference now. It seems like there was a a sharp spike in technological advancement of all kinds that happened after, like you said, uh, the post-World War II period, or what is considered to be the beginning of the Cold War era. And the Roswell incident fits right into that point where we see these great improvements and innovations.
1: Yeah, when you consider how much has changed in human skill uh, to create new inventions and develop new technology from, say, 1800 to 1900, it's really not a heck of a lot. Uh, Our way of life was really about the same. Now, if you look at how things advanced from, say, 1300 to 1800, the changes are almost completely insignificant and if you look at from say 500 a.d right around the fall of the roman empire to around 1300 um, then there is probably no change at all but when you look at what has taken place in terms of scientific breakthroughs from 1950 to today we see that incredible things that been uh, accomplished Right.
0: Our progress into and throughout the modern age, uh, the modern age being uh, from right around 1500 to the present, as most historians define it, uh, it's gone at a, the pace of a turtle uh, until we reach right around 1950. And then it goes at the pace of a jackrabbit. And you have to ask why that is. You know, why then? How did we start to figure out science and engineering and master all of it so well at that point in time? And now it's not to say that there are, uh, wasn't substantial progress in technology before 1950 because there definitely was but the changes we see in the last 74 years has shaped the whole world in a way never before witnessed and not only shaped it socially and intellectually but also politically and economically and on a global scale this technological revolution is something humanity has never experienced
1: And that brings us to what might be the the real intangible significance of the Roswell incident. Whatever truly happened after that event, we see uh, that our skills and knowledge in things like aeronautics, computer science, electronics, and quantum mechanics has been nothing short of astounding. So let's talk about what happened in that incident. So it occurred on July 6, 1947, and has involved cover-up ever since that date. Uh, it starts with the issue uh, of the Roswell daily record two days later on July 8th that has the the bold headline RAaf captures flying saucer on, on ranch in Roswell region and it and right away so the news clip was sent over the wire and picked up by some newspapers in major cities and it told of how personnel with the 509th uh, operations group recovered the debris of a flying disc from a nearby ranch. But within a day, Army officials retracted the story, They're claiming it was a weather balloon. So you have to wonder why they would have done that. The press release was authorized by the public information officer on the 7th, and on the 8th, General Ramey, commander of the 8th Air Force in Fort, in Fort Worth, Texas, held a conference uh, explaining that it was a downed weather balloon and even displayed the debris pieces. So if the initial press release was in error, then the public information office at the base was really incompetent because they're the ones who gave it to the daily record.
0: Yeah, it, is, it definitely caught national attention. And, and this is sort of typical of government and military measures taken for damage control, and that is to give a completely new and alternative narrative that is as credible and as intriguing as the initial narrative so, that it can be easily quashed. And it is done with the confidence that people will find the alternative is more believable than the initial one. And of course, it is done in a way to safeguard classified information, which likewise uh, justifies making a narrative somewhat Byzantine in order to cloak anything that would be compromising. Many of us have witnessed this kind of protocol in watching press conferences on television and in reading news articles. The storyline may be fairly simple. Yet the intricacies are strangely complex involving the details, such as how people are involved and to what degree they're telling the complete account. Uh, Those who are old enough to remember the Iran-Contra affair will know what I'm talking about. It's like organized disinformation. And the government is masterful at weaving statements to make it seem that something is being said when really nothing is being said. And there's a name for that technique. It's called plausible deniability. You probably heard that line from the movie Independence Day. And really, it's a way to convolute the truth, especially something like a cover up to the point where those higher in the uh, uh, chain of command can be seen as above reproach uh, when something goes wrong or when something is said wrongly. We've all heard the official responses in which someone says that they can neither confirm nor deny something. It's a non-answer, right? It, It sounds like it's really impressive because it's better than complete silence. But the person answered nothing pertinent to the question.
1: Now, the, the person who seems to be at the center of this whole story is uh, Major Jesse Marcel, an intelligence officer with the 509th Operations Group at Roswell Army Airfield. Uh, he was the one who assembled the team to go into the field where the crash happened and played a big part in the cleanup and movement of the debris over to the base. So what happened was several days before July the 6th, the rancher, uh, Mr. Brazel, and his son Vernon were driving through the field in Roswell. And they came across the debris of metallic looking material scattered all over the place. They collected some of it and uh, called the sheriff, Sheriff Wilcox of uh, Chavez County, who in turn called Colonel Blanchard at the 509th. Well, the, c- the Colonel then called General Ramy about it. And he also sent Major Marcel to go out to the location along with the uh, Sheriff Wilcox and the rancher uh, Brazel. Um, after going out there and seeing all the debris for himself, he determined that all the debris needed to be collected and then taken to the base. <laughs> Curing the area and retrieving everything. Now, after that, the details get a little sketchy. Uh, but the pieces are never seen again, at least not the real pieces. Uh, it's believed that what was displayed for the newspaper photographs that we've all seen uh, was not the actual debris at all.
0: Yeah, I think we uh, we lost a little bit of connection there, Laurie. Uh, General Ramey, was he at Fort Worth uh, Army Airfield? He wasn't at Roswell. He was at a, uh, the headquarters for 8th Air Force. That was Fort Worth Army Airfield. Airfield Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, hey, I, I was wondering about this degree. Um, you know, he didn't see it for himself, it was brought to uh, the Fort Worth um, Army Airfield, but like you were saying, uh, the pieces that were at the, the, this press conference that they had at Fort Worth uh, were not, you know, uh, believed to be the real pieces, they were displayed for photographers, uh, and they weren't the actual uh, debris that was in the field. Um, so the media found out about the Roswell crash and that may have uh, been because of a mistake made by the upper echelon at Roswell Army Airfield. And when it became realized that classified information had been compromised, uh, they had to alter the story just enough such to, uh, a reasonable person would believe it. Um, they don't have uh, one of those special, you know, flashers from uh, the movie Men in Black, you know, where they, they flash in and it erases everyone's memories um, so what they have to do is rescind what they said in order that they have to clear up the you know, quote-unquote stake. And, of course, when a new narrative gets holes put into it from critical questions, a revision of that can be made, or else uh, a final inconclusive response is, is given to placate the inquisitors as to the nature of the incident, um, saying that it's it's vital to national security interests. And at that point, no further information is provided nor further questions permitted. Uh, It's merely dismissed, uh, and done so with the authority and bureaucracy that only the federal government can project so well.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think the military officials were probably wise in the proclamation of their... They had recovered a flying disc. Uh, A couple weeks prior to Roswell crash, a pilot by the name of Kenneth Arnold saw several flying discs over Washington State only about two weeks prior on June 24th, and the best way he could describe them was by saying they looked like saucers. So this was really, or this was already released to the media, and uh, there was already a narrative that uh, was started about it. Uh, This was very much like an incident in our modern time with uh, what F-18 pilots saw over the uh, Pacific Ocean near San Diego that they believed, uh, or that they described as a tic-tac, um, so all of you remember us talking about the tic-tac flying objects, and it's also been in the news quite a bit. Um, so it looks like the press was already in the know about the sightings of the flying disk by July 6th, as there were accounts being given of them. Likewise, the announcement of the recovery of a crash UFO and propaganda. Now, our government probably wanted people, especially the Soviets, to believe it is possible that uh, we did acquire uh, alien uh, technology. <clears throat> but uh, by, by quickly retracting and, and uh, denying um, that to be the truth, it leaves a psychological impact with uh, everyone wondering and saying to themselves, well, um, they said they, they made a mistake calling a flying saucer, and then they're saying it's not that, but what if they really do have a flying saucer after all? <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I agree. I think they were wise in that proclamation, uh, initial proclamation about a recovered flying disc. And for the reasons, like you said, political propaganda, you know, make the Russians think that we might, even though they're not sure, even if there's some doubt and they think we might, (laughs) if not confirmed or denied. Uh, The significance of this would have been the tantalizing possibility in the minds of everyone that the United States could actually be in possession of a highly superior form of technology that no one else had. Uh, which at the time, anything to be ahead in the Cold War was seen as a means to justify the end. It's almost uh, a Machiavellian technique of manipulating people into believing something in one way so as to enhance your ability to maintain power and control in other ways.
1: What's interesting to consider about the time of the uh, Roswell crash occurrence is its uh, context with other, with, uh, other astonishing things going on. Uh, World War II had just ended, and and uh, the humans had had witnessed a detonation of two atomic bombs on uh, in Japan, and the destruction was something not even imagined by anyone at the time, except for like maybe Einstein and Oppenheimer, um, and a few others. It, it may be possible that such a destructive war may have garnered uh, the attention of other worldly neighbors. And, uh, and just eight years later, a top-secret base is created, which we all know as Area 51. Then in 1961, a married couple are abducted by a race of aliens who, who famously uh, became known and uh, trusted into our culture as the alien greys from a star system called Zeta Reticuli. Then, of course, came the famous moon landing in 1969. And the question is, did the Roswell incident ha- have a hand in all of this? Um, well, according to the FBI teletype uh, back then between uh, Fort Worth office and uh, DC, that was sent uh, on July eighth, same uh, same date as when the balloon story broke. A flying disc was purported to have recovered, to have been recovered near Roswell. Uh, it also said it was hexagonal in shape, and it was being transported to Wright Army Airfield, Ohio, by a special plane examination because of national interest in the case. Now could it be that uh, a weather balloon maybe brought down the saucer? This is what the saucer crashed into um, I mean you don't go through all that trouble to transport a weather balloon on a special plane to be scientifically examined while mentioning a hexagonal shaped disc in the same sentence, right
0: I agree if it was a weather balloon and there shouldn't have been an investigation at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So now a brigadier general named Arthur E. Exxon was uh, interviewed and um, stated that the material from the crash was examined at right field. Uh, The technicians conducted tests involving chemical uh, chromatography and stress force testing and uh, claimed that the material, it it was weird. Uh, It was described as being so strong that hammers couldn't even dent it. Yet it was flimsy and it was like tinfoil, but very strong. So, Exxon stated that it had the uh, analysts puzzled. Uh, they all were aware that they had a new discovery on their hands because the material was unknown to anyone there. However, their overall consensus was that it actually came from space. Um, so, now one interesting uh, Deathbed confession that uh, I like to touch on was by Major General Robert B. Landry. any, any relation to Joe? <laughs> yeah, sure, that was my grandfather. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, just kidding. Of course, just kidding. I'm not related to that person at all.
1: <laughs> Naturally, uh, well, he was deeply uh, involved with the incident and told his grandson before dying that if I ever told you the truth of what happened back at Roswell. You would never see life the same way again. Staff Sergeant Melvin Brown told his daughter that he and another soldier were stationed at the recovery site, and he didn't understand why some trucks were loaded with ice. Uh, They were instructed not to look under the tarp, but he did anyway and saw two small bodies with weird skin, large heads, and slanted eyes. So there are deathbed deathbed confessions from privates to sergeants to majors to generals, and the reports of the bodies are always the same, uh, usually to short non-human bodies with large heads and slanted or slit eyes. Now, once the press was told it was nothing uh, more than a weather balloon, they completely bought the revision and moved on. Uh, they believed it and there was no follow-up questioning. And actually, to add to the optics of the story, uh, Major Marcel went to the Fort Worth uh, base and next day uh, to be at the press conference, and it was here that he was photographed holding what looks to be a big piece of luminal foil that was supposed to be the material of the weather balloon that the military was now saying uh, was what had really crashed.
0: Yeah, you know, it it seems like the newspapers back then didn't really mess with uh, the military leadership. Uh, They took their statements, and that was about it. Today, I'm sure there would be a lot more follow-up questioning and journalistic investigation. But the practice of the media in the 40s and 50s was to merely uh, report what the officials stated and to give little or no pushback.
1: I mean, uh, it, it was a great move on the part of the army because you want the Russians to get just enough wind of what you may have, you know, but not too much, just enough to uh, to give them some political anxiety over it. So the, the other problem was that the government thought that there could have been mass panic in the United States, and that concern would have been based on the experience of what happened after the stunt uh, Orson Welles pulled with the world's radio show, which was only about nine years before all this.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I laugh now about that because it is kind of hokey. But at the time, it was uh, it was quite a, an, or- uh, an ordeal, quite a uh, almost a catastrophe. So for those who never heard about this bizarre occurrence, it was on October 30th, 1938, with something that was called the Mercury Theater on the air in which they uh, broadcast a show on the radio carried by CBS, before CBS was a television network, and it was a drama that was an adaptation to H.G. Wells' 1898 novel, The War of the Worlds. And I remember I actually listened to an LP record of this show when I was about 13 years old. I remember those uh, LP records. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, during the performance, as Orson Welles was narrating, Uh, He would read these news bulletins in the form of interruptions, Uh, and they sounded legitimate, but they weren't. They were spoofs that were part of the performance. And in one of the news flashes, he said that police were investigating an unusual object that fell from the sky onto a farm in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Uh, Then it escalated with another interruption in which it was said that Martians had come out and started using a heat ray to attack people. And then there was another flash from a a different reporter who was supposedly in Manhattan describing casualties from this poisonous gas cloud that was being released uh, by the Martians and in their spacecraft.
1: We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Right. Um, it was all part of the show. <laughs> right. Um, but there were there were some people listening who truly believed that the the news flashes were real, and, and that the earth was really being invaded by Martians. Um, that result was a was a good bit of panic uh, and chaos until the announcers with the Mercury Theater came forth with the message that it wasn't it wasn't real, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, and uh, various groups did file complaints with the FCC, which prompted you know these new regulations. And, of course, CBS had to give an apology and, and had to field phone calls explaining that it was entertainment and not meant to cause panic. Uh, but this was after the New York Times ran a neon white bulletin at the corner of Broadway and 42nd Street saying, quote, unquote, Orson Welles causes panic.
1: Yeah, as hard as it may be to believe, this uh, could have resulted in complete widespread mayhem if. So I'm I'm sure the government didn't want to see something like this happen because of their press release about them having recovered a flying disc with aliens in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This this really could have been a, a widespread pandemonium and just chaos if um, yeah, you know CBS didn't you know do some damage control of their own. Uh, and then kind of get things straight, which it didn't take too long. People eventually realized uh, that it, it was basically a a, a spoof. <laughs> now, another thing to consider with, you know, the, all this debacle, uh, you know, with uh, Roswell is that of a bureaucratic handoff that was in the works. You know, the Army Air Force and the Army Air Corps were standing down to get ready for the advent of an entirely new branch of the military, that being the U.S. Air Force, which got its start on September 18th, 1947. So the Roswell crash took place just a couple of months before that. And I'm sure the generals knew that there was going to be a big change with the national defense strategy as an entirely separate service branch was to take charge of detecting and interdicting anything that entered the airspace of the continental United States. And with that, it was probably they knew it was going to involve new protocols that were going to probably be more stringent in terms of uh, their secrecy classifications. So there could very well have been a sort of new management paradigm shift that was taking hold of the commanders at the headquarters concerning things like you know, press blackouts um, about anything uh, that would be entering our skies from beyond our borders. Now, in the early days of this crash recovery, there may have been a feeling among some of them that the craft was something either Soviet or even a remnant of the Nazi regime. The idea of it being extraterrestrial uh, may have had something to, that it took a little while for them to fully understand and come to accept and that they may have had some real consternation about the vulnerability of the United States to a foreign attack. You know, after this, the Truman administration did much to improve our air defenses and the strategic placement of missiles and bases in the continental United States. And the protection from any threat from beyond the Earth seemed to fit seamlessly with the need being to provide a shield from a Russian incursion. The need to keep information about alien beings entering the U.S. as top secret that became paramount for reasons of national security. Um, the detection of the presence of aliens would have been just as crucial as the detection of the presence of Soviet aircraft.
1: So I can see their reasons behind changing the story. Uh, like you said, cover up and deception are what the government has employed when the cause was justified for national security interests. Now, I I believe they they must have lied simply because the story changed a total of four times, as about what it was that actually crashed. So, Joe, I mean, you know that this would raise flags for us as uh, police officers um, if we were interviewing suspects, right? Oh yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know they're they're lying if the story keeps changing. I mean, that's that's uh, one of the number one cues or clues. But aside from that. Let's uh, consider what a retired intelligence officer came forward with in 1978. Of course, his identity was concealed, but he plainly stated that he was part of the crash recovery in Roswell. And that was about uh, um, and that was without a doubt not a weather balloon, but was something uh, not of this earth. Now, his words were essentially uh, that the whole story given to the public uh, was a complete and uh, uh, was a complete lie.
0: Yeah, and then later on, after public pressure escalated against the government with many Freedom of Information Act, or what is commonly called FOIA requests, officials admitted in 1994 that they did not provide the entire truth. <laughs> Imagine that. And uh, that they had changed the story to ha- having had something to do with airborne detection and listening devices. Uh, and these were found by investigators like Carl Flock and Mark Kreidler revealed that there was uh, more concern over disclosing evidence related to something that was called Project Mogul. And they were more concerned about that than they were about hiding anything about the possible crash of a UFO. Uh, Apparently, you know, at this time, there was a a known sort of prevalent rumor mill going around uh, throughout uh, the government and the public about flying disks and their crashes. There were about seven other documented crashes similar to those of Roswell, according to Chuck Wade's uh, presentation to the Highlands Re- Highlands Ranch Historical Society, uh, but Project Mogul was a serious matter at the time. Uh, it wasn't declassified until the s- 1970s, and it was uh, what it was was an early detection system that used helium balloons to carry specialized sensor equipment very high up uh, in into very high altitudes. I mean, all the way up to the stratosphere, and the purpose of this was to monitor nuclear testing by the Soviet Union in Eastern Siberia. Now, I remember reading the uh, Defense Department Roswell report uh, when it came out in the 90s. And uh, this is when I was still in the Air Force. Uh, it's available at uh, www.af.mil uh, slash the Roswell report. And according to that, Project Mogul was uh, in full swing between 1946 and 1947, and that the wreckage at Roswell was really from one of these balloons that were launched uh, several weeks earlier from alamogordo army airfield uh, and that's about 100 miles west of roswell so the disinformation over the weather balloon was meant to conceal the details of project mogul And, and basically the hysteria with the ufo was just left to go unchecked by the government in order to help with the cold war propaganda and like we pointed out the media didn't push back on the weather balloon narrative And for the most part, not very much was ever said again about this Roswell incident, really, uh, until uh, the 1970s when interest in it picked up again.
1: But then there's the problem with it. They later explained that what was removed from the site was actually mannequins. Uh, It was such a joke that the media laughed at them in the press conference. Uh, This explanation later became known as the dummy explanation. I mean, no pun intended. (laughs) Uh, There were eyewitnesses who claimed to have seen alien bodies taken from the wreckage. Interestingly, uh, shortly before Sheriff Wilcox passed away, um, I guess he told his wife that he wished he had called the press instead of the military uh, so that there wouldn't have been uh, all this kind of cover-up and deceit.
0: Yeah, the report addresses that, too, that of the alien bodies that were said to have been taken away and that um, you know, somebody would make an excuse at the, about them being mannequins. Uh, of course, the, this report denies any alien bodies or alien autopsies. And it goes on to point out a possible conflation of other incidents in which uh, Air Force pilots were killed in crashes with their dead bodies being seen at Roswell. You have to remember the base stayed open until the late 1960s, and there were other things that happened there well after the 1947 incident. So that's sort of the official position taken by the Defense Department, and they're sticking with it.
1: <laughs> well, for sure. You, you know, well, one of the best books I read on this subject was Roswell, The Ultimate Code Case. Uh, in it, Donald Smythe and Thomas Carey uh, tell of their uh, ex- extensive investigation into the incident and provided astounding evidence in favor of there being an actual UFO crash. Um, there are reports of uh, a photographer named Robin Adair, who worked for the Albuquerque Associated Press at the time, and he flew with his pilot near the crash site. Uh, it is said that he and the pilot feared being shot down by artillery units that were on the ground. And he supposedly witnessed the area completely closed off with uh, military jeeps and armored trucks and, and a, a, a slew of soldiers uh, that were preventing them from getting into the area. Now, my question is, why would there be such heavy security over a crashed weather balloon, huh? Um, if that's all it was, you you think they would want, want them to see it. Uh, just to quell any exaggerated news reporting that might come out of it, uh, they would go there, they would do their story on the balloon, and then they would leave.
0: Yeah, you think, uh, here's the proof, it's a balloon, nothing more. Um, And they would lose interest and say, sure, just a balloon and uh, move on and forget about it. But uh, that's not how things played out. And uh, they were very forthcoming in the press conference at Fort Worth, if you remember. Um, They had Jesse Marcel holding up the debris pieces, um, but uh, they didn't want anybody looking at those pieces out in the field. That's the difference. It's okay to look at them at the press conference, but not where they were found. They, they made sure that there was definitely a, uh, a discontinuity between where people were seeing the debris. Um, perhaps that's because it was staged and they weren't uh, the same pieces that were recovered from the field
1: after all. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> um, there, were, there were also uh, interviews conducted of the uh, townspeople who, who all said that the UFO uh, crash was the talk of the town at the time. And everybody knew it was a UFO crash. Um, there were stories of a large 18-wheeler traveling through town with an object covered by a tarp. Uh, a portion of the object was seen, and it was described as a silver egg-shaped uh, object, uh, believed to be an escape pod or inner cabin of, of some sort. Now, this was confirmed by another interview of, uh, of a person by the name of Roland uh, Minard, uh Jr., whose father was an MP at the base and protected the crash scene. Uh, He told of how his father witnessed it being loaded onto an 18-wheeler and accompanied uh, it through town, stating it was uh, egg-shaped and uh, seamless. Um, Now, other military personnel claimed to know the driver and attempted to take a peek of it when they flagged him down. Uh, He was very upset and appeared very concerned about them looking and told them, no, 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 you can't do that, I, you know, I have orders, I I, I can't let anybody see this. Um, and yet another report, a group of soldiers were loaded onto a military bus and later transported to an area the debris field where they conducted a line formation in several different directions, uh, collecting bits of unnatural debris. Uh, according to the photographer, as I mentioned earlier, Robin Adair, a gouge about 10 feet wide and 100 feet long uh, was seen uh, in in the ground near the crash. Now, this did not match what was said about it being a weather balloon because that was made of wood and flimsy material, so it couldn't have caused uh, such a disturbance in the ground like that. Um, now, even though we do not have pictures of the UFO in our public records, which you know we should have if they had told the truth, uh, in the beginning, but there are numerous eyewitness accounts that were eventually passed down to family members and even a deathbed confession by M- Major Marcel himself. Um, now, folks, Joe and I know from our law enforcement experience uh, that eyewitness testimonies are admitted into court. So they are considered evidence, uh, even if not conclusive evidence nonetheless. Um, so now consider what uh, Lieutenant Colonel James R. Wiley. Uh, is quoted as saying to the members of his unit back on July 8, 1947. And this is what he said. If you know something, you keep your mouth shut. If you don't, you may find yourself at Fort Leavenworth and you can read all about it there. Now, this is a pretty stern order given to uh, <laughs> to try to keep a down weather balloon as secret, don't you think?
0: And definitely is a stern order, that's for sure. <laughs> stern warning. <laughs>
1: Now I believe there was a, a. It was also a teletype message that was received by the, uh, by um, the Albuquerque radio station KSWS, which came in from none other than the FBI, and it read: uh, "Attention Albuquerque, do not transmit. Repeat, do not transmit this message. Stop communication immediately. National security matter." And they say what? You serious? Like again? Why? Oh, why this over a crashed weather balloon? So it makes no sense. the The military knew exactly was uh, in back in those days by saying, "Hey, nothing to see here. It's just a weather balloon."
0: That's for sure. Yeah, they they knew what they were saying when they were and they were trying to manipulate uh, the media. Yeah, you know, so as for me, uh, I, I approach the the whole Roswell incident with well, let's say guarded skepticism. Uh, something did happen with it, something big. I, I don't think it was a down balloon, but it's hard to ascertain for sure if it was extraterrestrial. Uh, with all the secrecy and, and the strange statements that were made by people who were involved with it, it, it definitely does make you wonder. Um, there does seem to be a correlation between the Roswell incident and all the ramped up um, arms race, you know, the, the, the arms race, the space race. Uh, and and all the advanced research and development, you know, this you know from this point in in our history, we get NASA, we get DARPA, we get Area Fifty One, we get the CIA, we get Project Blue Book, uh, we get the University of Colorado UFO Commission. All of this seems to spring up rather quickly after uh, the Roswell crash. Yet none of the debris pieces have been looked at by anyone other than those people uh, like Brazil. Um, Major Marcel and Sergeant Rickett, who were uh, at the ranch. um, And out of the more than 300 witnesses to this whole matter, only 23 were reasonably found to be genuine in their statements, according to Flock. Uh, The others seem to be merely repeating what they heard from someone else. So really, after 74 years, we have sketchy witness statements from people who have now passed away, no physical evidence, and a whole lot of urban legend.
1: Well, you have to remember, Joe, uh, what uh, Brigadier General Exxon said, uh, that the material was analyzed by professionals, um, technicians at the Wright-Patterson, and, uh, and they were amazed. And, and in awe, um, we today have, have not seen the physical evidence, but that doesn't mean it does not exist. Um, there are too many witnesses. There are too many uh, change stories, too much governmental secrecy into this incident. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly that after World War II, the dropping of of the atom bombs, it caught the attention of our our, uh, galactic neighbor. Uh, Remember, they tested these bombs in the New Mexico desert as well. So uh, I could see why there would probably be uh, an alien spaceship that would be interested in, in New Mexico at that time. So I'm seeing this play out as one of these saucers was flying through New Mexico airspace and some reason, it didn't see this balloon and collided with the, one of these Project Mogul high-altitude balloons, which caused it to crash. Um, this could be an explanation for how both stories may be true about the balloon and the saucer. The question we must ask here is, if there was a UFO crash, then what made it crash? Um, so the balloon may be why. Uh, with all of these circumstances surrounding this event, as we discussed today and with uh, taking all this information together as a, as a whole, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning to uh, believe it was a uh, down UFO.
0: That's well stated, my friend, I must say. And uh, as always, our audience will have to come to their own conclusions about what happened in Roswell almost three quarters of a century ago. So this is episode number 20 for us. And with it, we bring our second season to a close. Uh, so, Lori, we, we started this podcast a little over five months ago, and we've seen it expand in a way that I don't think either of us uh, would have believed back when we first started. Uh, I have to tell you, doing all the, the research and show preparations has made our whole summer just fly by. I mean, July is like a blur to me. I, I barely remember July. <laughs> um, it's been a lot of work, and it's it's been a lot of fun, too.
1: Yeah, it definitely has. And uh, and we want to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in every week and uh, and downloading and uh, sharing in our deep interests and curiosity about all these things pertaining to alien life. Uh, alien Talk Podcast Now, uh, we have nearly or probably around 8,000 downloads across uh, 71 countries, including the U.S. and Canada, of course, and uh, it has reached almost 1,200 cities worldwide. Um, we thank all of you for supporting the show and uh, and helping with its success you have been a huge part of this and Joe and I are really excited to see this program going in the direction that it is. So uh, we're not going to be doing a show next week. Uh, we'll be on a uh, a little hiatus, uh, but uh, we'll return the following week on October 24th uh, to kick off season number three with a look at what he going on in area 51.
0: <laughs> yeah. the place uh, officially does not exist. It is not found on any maps. Uh, Area 51 is associated with Nellis Air Force Base as the Nevada Test and Training Range, but those who work there are given strict orders not to say that they work there. It has the uh, tightest security, the highest level of security of any place on Earth, and it has all of us uh, wondering if uh, alien spacecraft are being reverse engineered there to give us what we know as uh, from our, you know, stories in the news and our observations um the military's black projects.
1: Well, it's it's more possibly a place where the down UFO of Roswell was uh, reverse technology. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, could be. Uh fascinating stuff nonetheless. Uh much of the highly advanced uh, aircraft and and weaponry that has made its way into public debut um over the years has been to have been developed right there in Area 51. Um, And that it it is all derived from extraterrestrial Next episode, from uh, whatever app you go to for your podcast.
0: Yes, please do. uh, Whatever is your favorite app uh, by which you get your podcast, please download our our next episode. Um, And we look forward to being with you all again in two weeks uh, with the start of season three. So until then, folks, good thoughts. Good words, good deeds. Take care now.
1: So long, everyone, and thanks once again for joining us today. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Stay safe.